Hello all, welcome or welcome back to And Everything In Between. I'm your host, Mela. Um, Before we get started, I just want to say my cat is in the room where I'm recording and I'm really hoping she doesn't start meowing or like wanting food or something in the middle of while I'm recording. So if you hear any meowing, then she's definitely, that's definitely her. I tried to get her out and she would not budge. So here we are. She's on the couch right behind me. But I want to talk about, first off, I am really interested in psychology. And I think I've mentioned this before. And I think psychology is just, it's so interesting and fascinating to me. I love learning about how people's brains work, why we do the things we do. It's just very interesting to me. And so I was looking for a podcast related to psychology and I just I just wanted to listen to a podcast just to get more knowledge or just learn about psychology because it's something I am actually very interested in. And so I discovered the psychology podcast after looking for a long time and I really like it. It's like probably my favorite podcast right now. And I was listening to this episode And the episode was about different personality types and, you know, all the possibilities for personality types and what each one means, what makes us who we are. And so the hosts recommended taking a personality test on this website called 16personalities.com. And I've gone on this website before, I've taken the test before, and I actually took the test last in eighth grade. And so it gives you a different combinations of letters and the letters stand for something that's a part of your personality. For example, you can either have an I or an E in the first variation of your like personality code, I guess. And I stands for introverted. So depending on your answers to the questions, you're either more introverted or you're more extroverted. So if you have an E, you're more extroverted. And... I took this test last in eighth grade, and it's really interesting because in eighth grade, my result was an ENTJ, and, you know, now I'm like, I was I really extroverted in eighth grade? Like, I don't remember me being super extroverted, and now I'm an INFJ, which means two main aspects of my personality have changed over these past few years, and that's really interesting to me because... I was like, I didn't know like personalities could really change like that, but I it, mine did. So yeah, but I got the result in INFJ as my personality type. And if you want to learn more about it, you can go on the website, but that's not the main focus of what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the questions on the test or not the test, but more like the assessment of your personality these questions, they're more like statements. And you could either say you strongly agreed with the statement, you strongly disagreed with the statement, you were neutral, you don't really have an opinion, you slightly agree, you slightly disagree. And they're all related to you, all these statements they give. So an example of a statement they gave was, you find it easy to make new friends. And you could say you strongly agree with that, like, yeah, I find it really easy to make new friends. Or you strongly disagree with that, like, No, I don't really find it easy to make new friends. 
And then all of those statements, they compile it together to create your like personality code. And one of these statements was really interesting. And I was like shocked when I saw it because I didn't think this was really a sign of variation among personalities. And the statement was, you enjoy talking about death. Or I don't necessarily think it was exactly that. It was something along the lines of you enjoy talking about what happens when you die or about the afterlife, something like that. I just found it really fascinating and I was like, strongly agree. Because I think it's so interesting to talk about what happens when we die. Because no one really knows and everyone has their own opinions, everyone has their own theories. And I think it's so interesting to just talk about it. That's what today's episode is going to be about. And I've been wanting to make this episode for a long time and I couldn't make it last episode because I was stressing over exams. Thank God those are over. But now that they're over, I am so excited to dive into this episode. So today's episode is about what happens when we die. So obviously we have all these different theories about what happens. And, you know, these may be connected to religion or just personal beliefs. But before I dive into these theories, I just want to make it clear everyone has their own beliefs. It's really what you believe that makes it special. So there is no right answer. And I'm not going to be agreeing or disagreeing over any of these theories. I just wanted to talk about them and just... Yeah, I just want to talk about them. So a lot of people say that when you die, you are either classified as a really good person and you go to heaven or you're a bad person and you go to hell. It makes me wonder, can people really be classified as a good or bad person? And what makes a good or bad person? You know, do you have to be like, 70% good and 30% bad or do you just have it like deep in you you know you're a good person and you wouldn't do harm to other people and you want the best for others and it's really interesting because I don't think personally I don't I don't think there's anyone in the whole world or whole history of the world who was 100% a good person Or 100% a bad person. I think there are bad people who are 99% bad, but that 1% of them, maybe when they were younger, they were different and they cared about people for a short period in their life before they became a mass murderer, whoever, you know? But I don't think there's entirely good nor entirely bad people. And let me elaborate on the entirely good people. We hear about these people who are amazing. They lead like peace protests. They, they're wonderful people. They're good people. But I think we can't just say they're 100% good because everyone in their life has done bad things. Everyone, even if you've sacrificed your life to cancer research, or whatever, everyone has a side of them where they're a little ashamed of, where they were greedy, or they put themselves before other people. 
or they didn't help a friend in need. And that doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. It just is a bad thing that you did. And it just shows how everyone is on a gradient. Everyone is on a gradient of really, really good or really, really bad. And it's your actions that determine whether you're high up on that gradient or you're low on that gradient. If you choose early in life that you want to dedicate your life to helping other people, yeah, that makes you a good person. Maybe you'll be higher up on that gradient, but that doesn't mean you've never done bad things or that doesn't mean you've never done made mistakes. But again, that doesn't mean you're also a bad person, you know? Like, your mistakes can't classify you as a bad person, but also all of your good deeds can't make you 100% good. And so it leaves me to wonder, would I be considered a good or bad person? Because I don't think I can really put myself into one category and say, yep, 100% of the time I'm a quote-unquote good person or I do things to help other people or 100% of the time I'm always putting myself first and I'm always hurting other people and I'm not being, I'm not being the best self I could be. I don't think I could even classify myself. And when I try to think about other people, sure, they've done bad things. Everyone I know has made mistakes in their life or has said things that weren't nice or has done things that weren't nice. But that doesn't make them a bad person. It maybe just determines their spot a little more on that gradient of good to bad. And so that's why whenever people say like you will either either go to heaven or hell it just makes me wonder how do we classify people as a good or bad person what if someone has devoted their life we'll use the cancer research has devoted their life to cancer research and finding a cure for cancer and is just so caring towards these millions of people that suffer from cancer but at the same time they are abusive at home to their kids and their spouse. Like, does that make them a really good person or a really bad person? Because they've done good things in their life or they've done bad things in their life. And so it's really difficult to determine, yep, you are going to heaven or no, you're going to hell because there's always these other aspects of their personality in their life that are like, what about me? What about me? Like, am I really 100% good or 100% bad? Or is it, are you mostly good or mostly bad? And then, of course, there's the question of, well, how do you determine if you're mostly a good person? Is it a percentage? Is it like a strict, you've done good things throughout your life 75% of the time or 80% of the time? Or is it you've done one major action that has saved millions of people, that can outweigh, you know, abusing your kids. Like, I know that's a really dark side, but it just makes me wonder, how can we classify people as good or bad people? I think when we really think about it, we all tend to focus on bad things people have done. Like, well, 10 years ago, this person you know, this person betrayed me, and so they're a horrible person. But 
we can't just classify people as a bad person because of one thing they've done or a good person because they did one thing 10 years ago and then they kept hurting you over and over and over again. And also, I think that when we think of the people in our lives and we're trying to say, are, are these people mostly good or mostly bad people? It's not objective. Actually, I'm, I always mix up the words subjective and objective, but it's not, you know, we're going to have a bias on whether we classify people as good or bad people, depending on what they've done to us or to the people we love or just to people in general. And depending on what we know about these people, like if you are thinking about your friend and you know they're a good person and even though they've made mistakes and they've screwed up in their life, you know in their heart they're a good person because you see them every day and you've been with them through thick and thin, you know this person and you know they're a good person even though they've made mistakes. Another person who this friend may have hurt like 5,000 times and I say, no, they're an awful person. They hurt me over and over again and you don't see that because it's not you. It's not happening to you, it's happening to me. So they might think of them as a mostly bad person while you might think of them as a mostly good person. So it's really hard in general, to just determine that because it does depend on your viewpoint, your experiences with these people and what they've done to you. So that's just my take on that. Again, not saying I agree or disagree with this, just hypothesizing over all these theories. Another theory that I think resonates a bit more with me or that makes sense to me is are we reborn into a new life? And I think this is really interesting because it raises these questions. If we die and we're reborn into this new life, do we remember our old life life or who we were at all? Do we have like a feeling in our chest like, I resonate with this place very strongly? Or do we just forget everything and we're just, we, we're brand new, clean slate? I think that's very interesting to talk about too because I was thinking about this. And to me, this, this is really interesting because I know a lot of people are like, wow, I feel such a deep connection to this time period. Like, even though I was born in 2002, or whatever. I feel such a deep connection to the 1980s. Like, I love the 80s. I think it's so cool. And I just, every time I see pictures from the 80s or artifacts from the 80s, it it just makes me feel something. And then other people are like, no, nah, the 80s, no. Maybe like the 1700s or something I don't know the 1700s in Paris France or whatever is that why people feel these strong connections to certain time periods where they find certain time periods so fascinating or they find certain places so fascinating because this was where they once lived in their past life I think that's really interesting and I often see all these videos saying like 
which which place do you resonate with? Which place speaks to you? And it's different for everyone. And some people say, you know, maybe the place where I live now, like it just feels so familiar. Or they go halfway across the world to Australia and they're like, I was meant to live in Australia. Like, I love this place. It just, it speaks to me. Maybe it's because we were there once and we lived there in a past life or we were in this time period in a past life. When I say a past life, we could have had dozens of past lives and over time we just start to forget about them or we could have only had one. And I don't think we'll ever truly know if we have had past lives before, but it's just about the places and the time periods that resonate with you. And it's really interesting because I think for me, every time I see videos of Paris, like I want to go to Paris so bad. I love the architecture. I love just the everyday life and the atmosphere. And that's, I want to go there so bad, but other people are like, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty city, but it's, it's nothing much to me. And it's different for every person. And even though I've never been to Paris or I have no reason to feel so strongly connected to this place, I do. And it just makes me wonder, like, why do I feel this strong connection and other people don't? Or why do some people feel a strong connection to a certain time period and others don't? Is it because we once lived there? I don't know. But it's definitely something to think about. Another theory I have, and I think this is the most interesting, and I have kind of a unexpected little plot twist on this theory. I wonder, can our souls stay the same? Like, we have the same values, same personality traits, ideologies, after we die and our souls are then transported into a new form or a new person that has the same soul as us, the same core values, same personality, the same beliefs, what if our souls stay the same? Our souls can never die. Even if the thing that holds them dies. Like, even if we actually die, our heart stops beating. Can our soul be reborn into a new form and released back into a new life? So it's kind of like we're being reborn into this new life, but our soul is the same. It's just in this different body. And that makes me wonder, when people say, or there's theories that everyone has this twin flame, and a twin flame, if you don't know, is someone who's like exactly the same as you. And it can be romantic or it can be just platonic, but someone who is literally your twin, not biological, but your twin because you guys have the exact same personality. It seems like you're literally the same person, just in different bodies. And when people say, you know, everyone has a twin flame who's exactly like you or who understands you completely, what if that's our soul who 
has died in a past life, who has belonged to a body that died in a past life and is now in a new body, what if that's the remnants of a past life and they're like reborn into this new body? And that brings up the topic. I think it's definitely possible to have a twin flame or to have someone you feel is exactly the same or understands you completely. And some people never find their twin flame. I think most people will never find their twin flame or their platonic twin. But now that I'm thinking about it more, I think that it's definitely real in some sense. That out there somewhere in the world is someone who is literally exactly like you. And it's just the theories behind that. Is it just happened to be like that? Or maybe it is our soul who has died in a past life and has been reborn into a new body. And I think that's really interesting to talk about and to theorize about. You know, it seems crazy to say like, oh, our soul keeps living on, but it does make sense. Like our soul is just living in a body who dies and then it moves on and on. It's cycled over and over again. And I don't know, maybe it's true, maybe it isn't true, who knows? It's just definitely interesting to discuss and hypothesize about. Now I kind of want to switch gears and I want to talk about different books I've read where the main character actually dies and how they play out. And, you know, we all know by now, based on me making this episode, everyone can tell, I think talking about death and the afterlife and what happens in the afterlife is very interesting. And so that kind of, it kind of expands over to my reading material and what I read. And I actually have read like four books where the main character dies and then it's like, well, what happens next? And it just contributed to me wanting to make this episode because all of these books that I read where this main character dies, they've all been extremely interesting to me. So I just want to talk about them and, you know, what happens. The first book I want to talk about is The Midnight Library. And this book is really popular. I'm pretty sure it was like really high on the New York Times bestselling list. And it's popular for a reason because this book is probably like my second favorite book. I mean, it is so good and it just makes you think about your own life. I love books that connect over to your own life and they make you question your own life and not just a fictional character's life and they stay with you after you've read it. I mean, I read this book months ago and I still think about it frequently. So a general synopsis of this book, the main character, her name is Nora, and she's in between life and death. And a little background on Nora, she has just attempted suicide. And she's kind of unhappy with her life. She feels stuck. She feels like the world is just moving by her and she's just there. She doesn't have this ideal life she dreamt of having. And so she's in between life and death. You know, she's attempted to kill herself, but she's not quite dead yet. So in between this life and death, she goes to this library and basically, she lives out all of the different potential lives she could have had or the lives she does have in a different universe. 
And I'm pretty sure if I'm correct, I don't exactly remember, but I'm pretty sure in the book, she is living out all of these lives and all these parallel universes. And she's like regretful. She's like, why in the life I'm living now in this universe on this dimension, why this life when I could have been an Olympic swimmer or I could have been a travel influencer? You know, why this life, this boring life where I'm just a piano teacher living in a small town? And she feels so stuck and unhappy with her life. In the end, if you don't want to hear a spoiler of this book, it's not necessarily a spoiler, but it is, it kind of tells you a little bit. But if you really don't want to hear it, then I would skip over this next minute. But in the end, she realizes that her old quote-unquote boring life, that's the only life she could picture herself living in. Because each life that she plays out, each potential life that she could have lived, there's always some problem. She thinks it's perfect. She thinks, you know, being a retired Olympic swimmer, giving speeches, she thinks that's perfect for her, that there could be no problems wrong with that life. She's happy. She's healthy. Everything's perfect. There's always a problem. Always a problem. And so in the end of the book, she discovers her old life is the only life she could keep living. Every life, no matter how perfect it seems, will end up having a problem with it. And she has to learn she needs to make the best out of the life she was given now. It just made me wonder if death and this deadline, like death is coming, you know, maybe death is coming 50 years, 20 years, 70 years away. If that is our only like finish line, if that's the only thing we visualize in our life and we say, okay, we have to make the best of our life right now before I die. And everything you do is so that when you die, you can say, yup, I lived the best life I could. Life just becomes like a chore, like a process, like, okay, step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. Okay, great. Now we're done. I completed all the steps. I should have been happy, right? Life becomes this process of wanting everything to play out perfectly because if there's one thing wrong in our life, then we just want to redo it all. And we say, well, when I die, am I going to just be thinking about all my regrets, all the things I could have done? and all the mistakes I made, it just makes me think that death can't be this finish line, this deadline to get everything you want done before. Because then life isn't just living just to live and just to experience, just to go with the flow. It becomes a process, a methodical process, and it ruins it. And Nora is saying, oh, I wasted all of these years in my life just doing nothing, not living at any of my dreams. And she thinks that she's wasted her time, that she isn't going out and living her life every single night. And if you have that mindset where death is the only thing on your mind, when I die, will I have lived my life to the fullest? Then life becomes a chore and it doesn't become something to just experience. Like, 
everyone is going to die at some point. Newsflash, we're all going to die sometime. But that shouldn't be the thing that's on your mind all the time. We all know it's going to happen. Just live. Like, we can't have this as this only marker in our mind and just be thinking about it constantly because it takes the magic away from life. And it makes you feel like everything you're doing is to reach this end goal instead of just doing it just because you want to or just because you can. That's kind of my take on that book. That's what that book taught me and also taught me like you are given this life right now. Maybe you have 100 different lives that are seemingly better than yours in different universes. That doesn't matter. You have this life right now and you've been given it and you just have to do what you can with it. Have fun, you know, try to achieve your dreams. And if you can't, then so what? Everything will end up working out. You know, Nora, once she accepts that, accepts that she doesn't have to have this perfect life and she just has to go with it. Her quality of life and her happiness improves so much. And that's the main message that just stuck with me the entire rest of the book, the entire time after I finished the book. The next book I want to talk about, this book is probably my favorite book. The Midnight Library is my second favorite book. But this book, this is my favorite book ever. And it's called Before I Fall. And this book is like, I'm, I don't even remember how long it is. It's like maybe 400 pages, maybe a little less than that. And I read this book in a day. I didn't put it down. That's how good this book was. Basically, the main summary of this is the main character dies. I forget her name. I always forget the characters' names, okay? I don't remember their names, but I remember the moral or I remember what happens. So the main character dies, but she keeps reliving the day she died seven times. Seven different times. And each time, she learns a little more about herself and about her situation and she tries to write all of the things that she did wrong in her life because this character wasn't a really good person. You know, again, I'm not saying she was a bad person because like I said, I don't think there is this, you're either good or bad. It's more like a gradient. And she was maybe a little lower on that than she wanted to be, that gradient. A little more towards the bad side because, you know, she doesn't treat the people that love her with respect. She uses people, takes advantage of them, and she's just, she realizes she isn't a good person, and the people around her don't respect her. They don't like her, and she learns this through going through the day she died seven different times, and she realizes, like, I am going to die at the end of this day. Like, I know I am because I already have died, but I'm, I'm reliving this day. I'm going to die at the end of this day. When I die, have I done anything to improve myself or to leave a lasting impact on people? Will people remember me as a good person, a mostly good person, or someone that helped others? Or will they remember me as how I was before? Someone who was horrible to the people around her and who people despised? 
And she realizes that the first time she died, the actual time she died, she wasn't the person she wanted the world to remember her as. And she has seven different chances to right that wrong. She has the chance to fix this, to go through the day she died differently, to make an impact so people will remember her in a more positive light. Again, spoiler, if you want to read this book, then I would suggest skipping like a minute or like 30 seconds. In the end, this girl that she used to, I'm pretty sure she used to bully, I don't remember, but this girl that they weren't really on too good terms. This girl at the end of the story was going to take her life. And the main character is making it her mission on this last day to help and save this girl. Because she's like, if I die and I know that this girl might have taken her life because of me, and I leave the world like that, knowing that, and the other people around me probably know it too, I will have such a bad impact on the world. I will have left the world a worse place than I did when I came into it. It makes me really think about if we died right now, how would the people around us remember us if they were to place us on the good side or the bad side? If they were to erase the gradient and just say, were you a mostly good or mostly bad person? What would they say? And it made me think, oh my God, like I'm evaluating my own life while I read this book. I'm like, how would the people remember me? if I died right now. And it makes you think about your actions a little more because you never know like when you're going to die. And that's not to be like, you never know, like scary, no. But you really don't know. And if you're horrible to people around you and you keep saying, oh, you know, I'll I'll be a good person in 20 years. I'll, I'll try to be better soon, but not now. Well, you don't really know, like, when, when is that last thing you said to someone going to be the last thing? And when is your horrible behavior going to be, like, the last thing people remember about you? And this girl has the opportunity to change that. And she realizes this throughout the book. She learns it. It really makes you question, like, how you treat other people or how other people perceive you. And is that a mostly good thing or a mostly bad thing and it's all of course your opinion if you think you know yeah other people view me fine I'm happy with it good for you but I think it definitely made me think about my own life and how other people perceive me I have read a couple more books I'm actually reading a book right now where the main character dies and she actually has the opportunity to go back and see the other people moving on and grieving for her death. I like it, but I wanted to talk about these two books anyways. The last thing I want to talk about today, let's say another theory. Let's say when you die, you get to create your perfect afterlife. No matter who you are, no matter if you're the worst person ever and you are so far left on this gradient, like you have not done a single good thing your whole life. Or let's say you are the best person. You think you're the best person in the world. Like you've done so many good things to help other people. No matter what, everyone, everyone in this little scenario, 
gets to create their perfect afterlife. First of all, I want to just say, would you think that everyone is deserving of a perfect afterlife? And if not, like, how would you classify those who are deserving of this perfect afterlife from those who aren't? And this was kind of brought back to the first conversation we had about, you know, what does make someone a good or bad person? Because it is our own opinions and our own viewpoints of people. But if you did know this person and you just got like a brief summary of their life and you got to choose if this person has, gets to have their own perfect afterlife or if they don't, what would you say? Because I don't think I would be able to make a decision, that weighted decision, if I didn't know the person, truly know them, or if I didn't know every detail about their life. Because it's so hard to say, are you deserving of eternal happiness or are you not deserving? It's so difficult to choose. And who does choose? Who can choose that? I don't know. But anyways, let's say when you die, you get to create your perfect afterlife. What would yours be like? Would it have the people that are in your life right now? Would it be exactly like the life you were living before you died? Or maybe it'll be filled with like material items and you live in a mansion on a sprawling field with fountains and gardens everywhere. Would that make you happy if you lived there forever? What would that afterlife look like if you got to choose and you could only make one choice? Would it be like the life you were living before? Would it be your dream or would you not want to choose? Because choosing something of that importance to live as like an old as a soul, as a lost soul, forever, eternally, live there, would you even be able to choose? Like, I feel like that's such a huge task or a huge, a huge offer. I don't even know if I would want to choose. And I don't have this, like, as something I wanted to talk about, but now that I'm saying it, you know, let's, let's talk about this. If you had the opportunity to make this choice, create your perfect afterlife, no matter who you are, no matter who you are, you get this opportunity. Would you rather create your own perfect afterlife or would you rather just be reborn into a new body but with the same soul? And you're not going to know. Once you're reborn, you won't know. Oh, hey, I'm back. Like You're going to be a new person. You won't have memory of your past life. You will be a completely new person. And who knows what your circumstances will be like. Maybe you'll have the best life ever and you're like thank god i did that because i'm living the dream or maybe you'll have a really hard life either way you have this huge decision to make i don't think i would be able to create this perfect afterlife because it gets boring after a while you know you're like i want to go through life again i want to be able to make decisions and actually be in the real world living eternally on and on without, with no stimulation, just living and everyone else you loved is still living below you and you're up here in your little world you created for yourself, I feel like it would get a little lonely, a little boring. And I honestly think I might like to be reborn with my same soul into a new person because 
life has so much to offer and I only went on maybe one path or I only explored a little part of the forest when I was in my old life. And when you're a new person with new opportunities or a new background, you have a much different chance to see different aspects of the world and play out a different life, just live a new life. And I think that's much more ideal for me, at least. But it depends on who you are and what you value, what's most important to you. That is all I have for today's episode. I really enjoyed talking about this. And again, I'm not saying I agree or disagree with any of this. I just wanted to talk about all these different theories. What actually happens? Who knows? But thank you all for listening. And you can follow at and everything in between podcast on Instagram for more updates. And yeah, thanks for listening, guys. See you next time.